0: Good morning. I hope you are well. It is, uh, it is a joy to be here week in and week out. And I know you hear our, your pastors remind you that often. But it's because it is. You are an encouragement to us. And I hope this morning, through God's word, to be an encouragement to you as well. But I will warn you, there may be some discouragement that comes to you through God's word before the encouragement comes I know it has for me as I've been studying through this, but it's okay uh, because it's truth. Uh, I work with a couple of basketball coaches out of Raleigh, Coach Hollis and Coach Nunley, and um, they've been gracious to my family. We love them dearly because of um, who they are and what they've done. They pray for us. They, they teach us things of life. They teach us me things of basketball, and uh, I get to see them day in and day out um, serve God in the way that they... Do their work, and both of them, on multiple occasions, have said to me and to our players uh, this statement uh, Our job as coaches is to tell you the truth, and your job as players is to go and wrestle with that truth. And so, this morning, there's going to be, by God's grace, truth from His Word, and our job is to wrestle with that truth. <clears throat> This morning, uh, I'm looking around, and most of us um, have either had children or have children or have at least been around children, spent some time around them. Uh, How many of you here this morning have been a child or are one? Okay, hopefully everybody has raised their hand. If you're like me, you're probably raising both because I've been one, and I'm oftentimes told that I still act like one. You know, we've all been around babies as well. Have you ever, yourself, or have you ever heard anyone look at a two-month-old or a three-month-old baby and say, would you stop acting like a baby? No, you probably haven't, not seriously anyways, because they're a baby, and what do we expect of them? We expect they're gonna act like a baby. We don't expect that they're gonna get up in the morning and dress themselves and walk and carry on a conversation Uh, to feed themselves, to eat solid food. No, we expect that they're going to sleep and they're going to poop. And that's what babies do. And we expect that of them. Sure, they're beginning to learn. They're beginning to grow. Uh, But these things are going to take time for them. And we know that they can only handle the nourishment of milk. They're not ready for solid food yet. But what about a 13-year-old? 14, 15, 16, 17, 18-year-old. What about them? Well, if you have one, or six in my case, you know this. They like solid food, and they like a lot of it. Um, What about the way they act? Have you ever heard anyone say to someone in that age group, or probably said it yourself, would you stop acting like a baby? Have you ever heard them say, would you grow up and act your age? Yeah, of course you have. Um, How many of you have had that said to you a time or two? Why? Well, because when you are a young adult, and that's what a 13, 15, 18 year old is, they're a young adult. They're not a child, they're not a teenager, they are a young adult. When you see them and they're not resembling one, they're not acting like one, whether they're young or whether they're old, we rightly say to them this, you know better than that. Grow up, put away the childish things, act your age. This is a healthy expectation of them, right? Well, this morning, the author of Hebrews, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is going to help us see this same concept from the perspective of spiritual maturity. Um, He's going to help us see that there are those who are spiritually dull, and there are those who are spiritually mature. I want to begin this morning by reading the text. If you have your Bibles, would you turn to Hebrews chapter 5? We're going to be beginning in Hebrews 5.11. And we're going to conclude in Hebrews 6, verse 3, verse 11 of chapter 5. Hear the word of the Lord. About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk. Not solid food, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrines of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. And of instruction about washings, the laying of hands, laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. Uh, My aim this morning is to, as faithfully as I can, exposit the Word of God and give some general application in that, and then uh, exhort you, encourage you to take that home and and to wrestle with it. Ask God to show you specific ways that, that this text applies to you. Um, to show you specific ways that you have been um, unfaithful with the milk and uh, the way that you have exercised spiritual immaturity um, and to point you uh, to the one who can bring you to maturity. Uh, Would you pray with me? Father, this morning, would you remove our dullness as we seek to understand your word? Would you nourish us in Christ? Father, by your Spirit, would you give us a desire to know you more and to love you more? We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Just to remind you, just a brief context of Hebrews, um, the author is unknown to us, uh, speculation about who it is, but largely unknown to us. and. Um, the audience is the Hebrews, it is written to the Hebrews. The intended readers, the audience, were uh, Jewish Christians, those who had been converted from Judaism to Christianity. And, and while we know that this community of Jewish believers was largely those who were converted to Christ, we know there were probably also a number of unbelievers in their midst. Um, those who were attracted to the message of Christ, uh, but still clinging on to the things of Judaism. Judaism. Uh, The theme of the book of Hebrews, uh, and you've you've been hearing this over and over again, is um, the theme of it is that Christianity is superior to Judaism. Or another way to say that is that Jesus Christ is superior to Judaism. Or the new covenant in Jesus' blood is far superior to the old covenant of rituals and sacrifices. I believe we could sum up the main theme of Hebrews in three words. Christ is greater. Hence, all of the warnings that you have heard week after week after week against leaving him. Well, who is Christ greater than? Um, you can, if you want to flip back in Hebrews, kind of follow through with me, you can. Hebrews chapter 1, 1 through 4. Uh, we read that long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance and the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become much, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is much more excellent than theirs. So we read already that Jesus is greater than the prophets. He's greater than we are. We couldn't purify our own, Selves from sins, and he's greater than the angels. Uh, Hebrews 3, beginning of verse 1, we read, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and the high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him and who appointed him just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus had been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. So we read that Christ is greater than Moses. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 8. For Joshua had given them rest. God would not have spoken of another day later on. The implication here is that the promised land, isn't ultimately the rest that God has promised to his people. Um, he has called us, if you'll recall from weeks ago, he's called us to enter into God's rest. Um, just a couple of verses later there in verse four, that rest we know comes in and through Jesus Christ. Uh, he is our Sabbath. Eternity with him is a Sabbath rest. So we see that he is greater than Joshua. He is greater than the promised land. And then finally in chapter five, we read of Aaron being called by God, being chosen as high priest. And then in relation to priesthood a couple of weeks ago, we read this. Jesus is our great high priest who has passed through the heavens. He was tempted, as we are, yet without sin. In verse five, chapter, uh, chapter 5, verses 8 through 10, uh, Jesus learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God as high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Jesus is hes greater than Aaron. He is greater than Melchizedek. He is greater than all of the high priests. Um, Do you get the point I'm trying to make here? Do you get the point that the author of Hebrews is trying to make? Christ is superior to everything. Therefore, Christianity is superior to Judaism, and this is the point of the book of Hebrews. Today, we're going to pick up where Pastor Jimmy left off two weeks ago. Uh, Jesus has just been introduced as the great high priest, and the author has started to expound upon what this means. And then all of a sudden, he he pauses his exposition. He takes a time out or or an intermission to explain something different, and that's where we're going to spend our time today. And Pastor Jimmy is going to spend some time in that next week as well in this intermission uh, of the text. Well, why the interruption? Well, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, it's like the writer of Hebrews had this kind of aha moment or this, this light bulb moment in the midst of explaining and, and beginning down the road of this heavy doctrine, this weighty doctrine of, of the, the priesthood of Christ. It's like he realizes that this doctrine, as he's just said, is beyond, this is something that's beyond the basic principles and oracles of God So he pauses, pauses to challenge his readers, to warn them because they are not ready to hear these things. And I want you to keep in mind that uh, the warning we're going to read that we've read this morning, it's not the first warning we've heard in the book of Hebrews. It's not the first exhortation. I'll just read these for you just to remind you of some of the exhortations we've heard. Chapter 2, verse 1, pay much closer attention to what we've heard lest we drift away from it. Verse 3, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Chapter 3, verse 1, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. Verse 6, and we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in hope. Verse 8, do not harden your hearts. Verse 12, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. Verse 13, Exhort one another every day that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Verse 15, we've come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. And then again in verse 15, do not harden your hearts. Chapter 4, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to, to reach it, reach entering into his rest. Verse 11 Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Verse 13, we are all naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Verse 14, let us hold fast to our confession. Verse 16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. That's a lot of exhortation. That's a lot of Warning and all of these things are essentially a, a pres- prescription for a the disease. They are to keep us from getting sick, and if we are sick, they are to cure us. But we haven't heard much about what the actual disease is. Okay, sure. We we understand that the ultimate disease is sin and death. And Hebrews has um, been very clear that Christ is the answer to that disease. Um, remember what's been said of him so far. Christ. He made purification for sins. He's our great salvation. He was crowned with glory and honor. He suffered death. He tasted death for everyone. He brings many sons to glory. He's the founder of our salvation. He sanctifies. He destroyed the devil. He delivers out of slavery. He made propitiation for the sins of the people. And he became the source for eternal life for all who obey him. There's no denial that the writer of Hebrews is treated that. Our our ultimate problem is sin and death and Christ is the one who was crucified and raised again from the dead and he is a cure for that disease. So why would I say that the writer really hasn't said much about the disease yet? Well he's, he's speaking of another disease here. There's another diagnosis uh, and that's why he's paused his exposition to diagnose this disease for the Jewish Christians and let's return to our text in chapter 5 today in verse 11 and look at the text again. We read about this again, the priesthood of Christ about this we have much to say and it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. There's the explicit diagnosis of the disease it's dullness of hearing. That's what behind that's what's all behind all of these exhortations we just read. Pay close attention, consider, hold fast, don't harden your heart, take care, exhort, strive, fear, draw near. These are all prescriptions to keep us from becoming dull of hearing. Well, maybe you're asking, what is, what is dullness of hearing? Well, the Greek word here for dull is the word nothros. It's translated as sluggish, mentally dull, slow, slow to learn. Uh, It's a gracious way of saying dumb. The Greek word for hearing here is translated what is heard. So dullness of hearing literally means we are sluggish or we are slow to learn what we hear or what is heard. The problem with the Jewish believers and us in here as well today is the problem isn't our hearing, not physically. We can hear just fine physically. The problem isn't the ability of the author of Hebrews to explain the the depths of the priesthood of Christ. The problem was beyond their ears; it's beyond our ears. It, it goes down into our hearts and our minds. Um, our disease, their disease, was the dullness of heart, a dullness of mind. Their hearts were no longer eager to embrace the truths of the gospel. the word of Christ came in their ears and went down to their hearts and to their minds and it hit a dull, sluggish and hard heart. For the believer, it hit a heart of laziness, a heart of apathy. For the unbeliever, it hit a heart of just hardness, impenetrable. Their hearts were indifferent to what they heard. Um, For the unbelievers in in their midst, it it ties back a lot to what Pastor Jimmy had to say last week. Uh, He said that it's very possible for a person to sit week after week after week under the truth of God's word, under sound doctrine, under orthodoxy, and and hear these things and come to understand them, and even come to a point of believing that they are true and, and yet still not be a Christian. The point is that intellectual head knowledge here is, in and of itself, it doesn't gain a person their salvation. For the Jewish Christians, their spiritual condition is that they had become dull of hearing, and therefore they were like children, children in need of someone to teach them again the basics with milk because they couldn't handle solid food. There's other places in Scripture as well that kind of make this comparison that speak of spiritual immaturity and, and milk and solid food. and I want to bring those to light for a moment. Paul in 1 Corinthians 3, verses 1 through 3, says this, But I, speaking of Paul, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you were not ready for you were still of the flesh for while there is jealousy and strife among you are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way Paul again in Ephesians chapter 4 verses 11 through 14 says and he speaking of Christ gave the apostles the prophets the evangelists the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. And then lastly, Peter in 1 Peter chapter 2, Uh, He he says, like newborn infants, this is his exhortation to young believers, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. The writer of Hebrews is making a similar argument in comparison here today in today's text. Did you notice there in verse 11 the phrase, You have become. It seems that at some point these Jews that they weren't dull of hearing at some point. At one point they had great interest in the gospel. They understood Jesus as the incarnation, God in the flesh, coming into the world and and living a perfect life and dying a substitutionary death, being resurrected from the grave, defeating sin and death, and providing salvation for all who would believe in him by grace through faith. They must have grabbed hold of these things in faith, and yet their faith is wavering. They're in danger of running back to the former things of Judaism. For the unbelievers that were in their midst, uh, no doubt they were there sitting on the sidelines, probably part of the church, um, attending Yet they also remained dull, and not only dull in their hearing, but dead. Dead in their sins and trespasses, um, because they were still clinging to Judaism. Clinging to the rituals and the, the cleansings and the sacrifices and the traditions. How dull had they become? Look there at verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of god the hebrews had been there for a long enough period of time that they ought to be teachers but they weren't in fact they they couldn't they couldn't because they had become so dull of hearing themselves that they had little or no appreciation for the very truths that they should have been teaching themselves they couldn't handle the solid food of the deeper teachings of Christ. They were basically not even resting in the truth in the milk that they had been given of, of the basic truths of Christianity, the basic truths of salvation through Christ alone. They needed someone to teach them the basic again. Well, what were the basic principles of the oracles of God that we're speaking of here? What did they need to be taught again? Well, I want to jump ahead a little bit to chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, because they give us some insight. Um, in fact, I would encourage you if you go back and read uh, the Apostles' Creed, a lot of those same things are said in there. They give us some insight to what these basic principles of the oracles of God are. Verse 1 of Hebrews chapter 6, Therefore let us leave, and we're going to come back to that leave in, the, in a moment, but let us leave the elementary doctrines of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. I want to stack two verses together for you real quick to kind of compare them because at first glance they may seem like they're saying two different things, like they're contradicting one another. On one hand it seems like one verse is saying, uh, you need to be taught these things again, and then on the other hand it seems like it's saying, you need to leave these things. So, so which is it? Do we need to relearn them or do we need to leave them? Well, in verse 12 of chapter 5 we read, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. Chapter 6, verse 1, therefore let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation. So which is it? Well, it appears that the author is presenting two different concepts rather than contradicting himself. In one instance he's saying, You need to be taught the basics again. You need to be reminded of how these basics, they're they're pointing to Christ. They're fulfilled in him. They're fulfilled in his work. And then on the other hand, he's, he's saying, okay, now that you see the difference, now that you have the foundation that Christ really is superior to all things, that he is superior to Judaism, now set your mind and your heart on those things. Seek after and explore the depths of him and leave the basic things things where they are as the foundation. I'm going to get back to that foundation illustration as a moment and hopefully make it a little clearer as well. But I want to look at the basic principles that he set forth here. Six things, and they're kind of given in three pairs. But it's interesting to me that none of these six things are really explicitly Christian. None of them are distinctly pointing to Christ. They're all referring to basic generic Old Testament Jewish truths and practices that were used as a foundation um, of teaching when the Jews were converted. The first one there you'll see in uh, chapter six is repentance from dead works. We know repentance is no doubt a critical part of salvation. But repentance by itself, it it couldn't save them. It's not enough. It wasn't enough for them to say, I'm sorry. Um, I know I was wrong to try and do things in my own power. I'm sorry for thinking that I was righteous. The Jews needed to be taught again that this wasn't enough. They needed to understand that they had to repent from their self-righteousness and turn to Christ. The second one that he puts forth is faith toward God. It is right and it is good to have faith toward God, to believe he exists, to believe in him, but it's not enough. How do we know that? Well, the Jews believed in God. They believed in the true and living God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of creation, the God of redemption. They believed in the true God, but that wasn't enough. Their need was to believe in the Son of God, who we just read a moment ago, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. They needed to be taught again that in order to be saved, they had to repent of their sins and to put their faith in Christ. Look at the third principle there, instruction about washings. The Jewish Christians, the Jewish believers there, they needed to understand and remember that all of the Old Testament washings, all of the purification rituals, all of the ceremonies, they weren't enough. They were but symbols that pointed to Christ. They needed Jesus to cleanse them. They needed to understand that it was his blood that cleansed them. They needed to know that he was the living water, the one who washes and purifies and satisfies. And this may have also served as a reminder to them that they were to be baptized after they repented and that their baptism was to serve as an outward sign of repentance that they had renounced the things of Judaism and were no longer clinging to that but were clinging to Christ the fourth principle the laying on of hands if you go back and read Leviticus you'll see this over and over and over again Um, you see it in chapter 1 verse 4 chapter 3 Verses 2, 8, and 13, chapter 4, verses 14, 15, 24, 29, 33, chapter 16, verse 21, all that to say, again and again we read, and I'm just going to read Leviticus 1, 4, it says, he shall lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering, and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement, atonement for him. Over and over again we see this picture in the Old Testament. The priest was to lay his hands on the sacrifice as a, a point of identification, Uh, as a way of identifying with the sacrifice, and that sacrifice was to be accepted as the atonement. The sacrifice was to to make atonement for them. But the Jews need to be reminded it wasn't this way anymore. They didn't need to do this over and over and over again. Christ was now the way, because he had once and for all made propitiation by his own blood, not by the blood of bulls and goats. He had been accepted as the atonement for his people. And by the way, you're going to hear a lot more about this coming soon in Hebrews chapter 9 and and 10. The fifth principle that we read, the resurrection of the dead. You know, this was taught clearly in the Old Testament as a basic truth. Job taught it. David taught it. Daniel taught it. But this truth, this basic knowledge that our bodies... Um, after we die, our bodies, when, when Christ returns, they're going to be resurrected, and they're going to be reunited with our souls. They knew this, but it, that wasn't enough. That wasn't the deepest understanding that they needed to have of it. The deeper reminder that they needed was that their hope ultimately was found as believers, not just that they would be resurrected, but that they would share in the resurrection with Christ. Romans 6, 5 we read, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. A couple verses later, now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. And the, the final principle that he gives there is eternal judgment. We know that they knew of a coming judgment. They knew that the wicked were going to be judged to an everlasting punishment. They knew that the righteous would be judged to eternal life, but they had become dull to the fact that this eternal life was only brought about through Christ, through faith in him. He was their only hope for righteousness. We've sung of that already this morning. We've spoke of that this morning. He was their only hope for righteousness. That was the full truth of the the eternal judgment that they needed to grasp hold of. So those were the basic principles of the oracles of God that they needed to be taught again. Those were the Jewish foundations that were built upon to help them see their need for Christ and how, just like the rest of Hebrews has shown us, that Christ is superior to all of these things and that these things have been fulfilled in him. But, sadly, they had become dull to these facts. And sadly... uh, we have a tendency to become dull of these facts. Isn't that how it happens? We hear the truths of scripture over and over and over again and for some reason we stop embracing them. And when we do that, don't we become, don't we begin to become dull to the truth? We fall into this state of sluggishness, laziness. We no longer find joy in the gospel. We no longer long for the truth. We have no desire to know the deeper things or to search them out. We forget more and more about who Christ is and we hold tighter and tighter to our sin. We start to look more like the tares than we do the wheat. And we hear the truth for so long that we should be the ones who are teaching it, yet we can't because we ourselves have little to no appreciation for it. That's a sober sober warning for us as believers who are neglecting and becoming dull to the joy that is found in Christ. I'm going to back to our text here, the believers, they're the Hebrews, they've become dull to the point that they're only fit to feed on milk. They need milk, not solid food. They need milk because, as verse 13 says, if you'll look there in chapter 5, because they are unskilled, or inexperienced as translated, in the word, in the account, in the matter of righteousness. They're unskilled in the word of righteousness. Literally saying there that they need milk because they are like babies that are inexperienced in the righteousness that comes along with receiving Christ. But it's different for the mature. Look in verse 14. The mature get the solid food. It's for those who, the solid food is for those who have experienced, who are experienced in the righteousness of Christ. It's for those who have their powers of discernment trained. How? By constant practice to distinguish good from evil. The mature believer is one who can make decisions about good and evil and discern right and wrong, and it's because they've exercised. It's because they've exercised their senses or their powers of discernment through training and through constant practice. They're believers that are well-learned, and they are believers that are well-practiced. In what? Well, they're, they're wear, they're wear, they are well-learned in eating. Think back to what Peter exhorted the Gentiles with when I read a minute ago, the mature ones are the ones who have uh, as infant believers, they're the ones who longed for the spiritual milk and and through that they grew up into salvation and they tasted that the Lord was good and now they are continuing to mature as they dine on the solid food. Because of that they can discern, they can distinguish good from evil, right from wrong. I think this morning we could all agree that babies struggle with this. They struggle to make decisions about right and wrong, good and evil. They don't even know what to put in their mouths and what not to, and then if they put it in their mouth, they can't decide if they want to keep it there or not. Have you ever tried to feed an infant blended up green peas from a spoon for the first time? It does not go well. It's a, it's a disaster. They don't know what to do with it. Uh, one day they eat it, and the next day they spit it out. You know, where's Camille? Okay, I'll, I'll, disclaimer here: I've cleared this with Camille. I've asked her permission to share this morning. I'll pick on her for a second, but it's only because I really like her. When she was really little, she's not now, so she's past this stage. Okay, but when she was really little, I started calling her a name. I called her the Goat. No, it didn't stand at that time for greatest of all time. I called her the goat because she acted like a little goat. Anything she could get her hands on and go from here to there with it, if she could get it in her mouth, she would. Didn't matter what it was. And we expected that of her. She was a young child. She couldn't discern what should go in and what should not. Um, I remember when Blake was, I don't know, sometime 18 months around there. Melissa and I were around the house and Um, in and out of the bedroom we were cleaning up probably but I think we were both in the kitchen at this point and Blake was only child wandering around you know just playing keeping himself entertained he was good at that but all of a sudden Melissa and I heard this noise from the kitchen and of course we probably freaked out and ran really fast because it was the only child and you know how that goes Well, Blake had somehow gone into the bedroom and don't even know where he got it from, but he had gotten hold of a stick of my degree deodorant, the white chalky kind. And he somehow took the top off of that thing, and you know exactly what he did with it. He bit that thing like it was an ice cream bar. And it made him, thankfully, it made him throw up instantly. And I can remember we called poison control to make sure he was going to be okay. And anyways, he's fine. He's, it didn't stun his growth any. But he didn't know. Camille didn't know. They had no powers of discernment at that point because they were a child. We expected that of them. We don't, however, expect that of adults, young and old, those who should be exercising their powers of discernment. Well, the author has given us the problem, the diagnosis, the disease, and it's the dull, it's dullness of hearing. It's lack of maturity. It's forgetting the things of Christ and, and, and not letting go of and seeking to hold on to the things of Judaism. For us, it's seeking to hold on to the things of the world, seeking to hold on to our sin Um, And therefore, they remained in their infant state, only fit for milk. And as Jack Nicholson said, and, you know, a few good men, they couldn't handle the what? The truth. You can't handle the truth. Well, the author, after diagnosing the problem here, uh, he gives us a solution. He gives us the solution to our apathy, our laziness, our unbelief, our dullness. The plea here from the author of Hebrews is to leave the elementary things behind, give up the non-distinctive generic common religious basics that a lot of common religions hold and endure to maturity in Christ. Look there in Hebrews chapter 6 again in verse 1, therefore, in light of all that was just said at the end of chapter 5, therefore. Let us leave, let us dismiss, let us give up the elementary, the beginning, the elementary things, the doctrines of Christ, and go on to maturity. Bring, carry, endure, produce to maturity. Not laying again a foundation. You might want to ask a question, how can we leave or dismiss the doctrines of Christ and at the same time be matured or be carried along, become perfected or finished was not an easy thing to understand. I can tell you that for sure, but maybe this example will help you rationalize in your mind. Uh, We've all been to school at some point. Some of us are currently in school, but you begin where? You begin in kindergarten. And what is the goal of kindergarten? You learn your ABCs. You learn your numbers, and you learn your colors. Um, And I think you begin learning your left from your right in there as well. I can remember as as a kindergartner, I I always got that one wrong. Um, But anyways, but when you graduate kindergarten, what do you move on to? First grade, right? Well, what's the expectation? Is the expectation that you forget everything you've learned from kindergarten? And you leave kindergarten and you move on to first grade? No, that that would be preposterous. The expectation is that you take what foundation you've received in kindergarten, the ABCs, the 1, 2, 3s, the colors, and you build upon those. And in first grade, you begin to read words and put sentences together, and you begin to basic math problems, okay? And that you take the colors that you've learned and you start to create all this refrigerator-worthy pieces of art And so on and so forth, all throughout all the grades of school and college. And it seems to be the intent of the author here. The intent is that we leave the basics where they are. We leave the basic truths of the gospel, but we don't forget about them. We don't remove them. They are our foundation. But he is saying that the foundation has been laid, it doesn't need to be laid again. Build on it, it needs to be built on. Move on, build the entire house. We lay foundations for our homes, right? Well, we don't stop there, but we don't remove the foundation either. It's always there. It's supporting everything else, but we keep moving on. We build the entire house, and we don't live on the foundation alone. We live on the foundation and on and in everything else that was built upon it. The author here is telling Jewish believers, move on from and leave behind the incomplete foundation of Judaism and come to the house that is built completely Christ. Him incarnate, Him crucified, Him perfect, Him resurrected and alive, Him at the right hand of the Father. So, the solution to this disease of dole of hearing is to move on to maturity. How do we do that? By God's grace. I know that sounds like a cliche answer that's so simple it can't be true, but look back at chapter 6, verse 1, and we get a sense of this there. It says, let us go on to. In the Greek, this is a passive statement. It literally means let us be brought to. Let us be carried along to. Let us be endured to. Let us be produced along to to maturity. And if you have any doubt about the validity of that, uh, all you have to do is read verse 3. And this, speaking of going to going on to maturity, and this we will do what? If God permits. We could never exhaust the depth of of the meaning of this one verse these just these eight words and if this and this we will do if god permits suffice it to say for now though that it is the power of god through the spirit of god that carries us along to maturity we know that god is truly sovereign over all things we know that nothing happens outside of his control outside of his sovereign goodness We know that we need God to grant us the faith, the gift of faith, to believe. We need God to grant us mercy and grace to endure. We need his strength. We need God to hold us. We need God to keep us all along the way. We'll only do these things if God permits and if we rest in his goodness and his power. As I close today just a couple notes of encouragement um, exhortation warning as we tie these things up. The unbelievers first I want to speak to you Um, those who are here this morning that have not embraced Christ do just that embrace him your works can't save you your Traditions can't save you. If you have family members who are saved, your relation to them can't save you. Maybe you're one who has sat week after week after week after month after year, and you've heard truths again and again. And and to the point where you know that Christ is who he says he is. He's done what scripture says he's done. You believe these things. You know that Eternal life comes through Him. You know that apart from Him that death and separation from Him for eternity is waiting for you. But you haven't taken hold of Christ and I urge you this morning, embrace Him. Trust Him. Trust Him for the forgiveness of your sins. Pray to the Father and ask Him to do these things for you. Believers, If you are young in your faith, let me encourage you. Begin by cherishing the milk. Long for spiritual milk. And through it, taste and see that the Lord is indeed good. But don't stay there. Don't simply live on the milk. Grow into maturity. Do that by training yourselves constantly in the word of God so that you'll be able to discern good from evil. Don't long for the things of this world that once enticed you and are seeking to continue to do so. Long for Christ. Long for the solid food. Embrace Christ and pray this morning, tomorrow, every day of your life. Pray and ask God to grant you Grace to grow into maturity. Heed the warnings and exhortations of Scripture. And and we'll speak more of this next week. But you've heard so many of them because they're important. These exhortations and warnings, they are huge. Why? Because they are God's way of keeping us from becoming dull of hearing. And consequently falling away. Yet these exhortations and warnings are simultaneously God's way of assuring us of our salvation. They make us aware of the real dangers of spiritual apathy, spiritual laziness, dullness of hearing. Those dangers are real. But in his warnings and exhortations, he sends us to the source of our assurance. Look to Christ. Believe upon him. Believe who he is and what he's done and exercise this God-given gift of faith that you've been given and pursue holiness and righteousness as God permits. Would you pray with me? Father, they are reminded of conversation this week. Pastor Booney, there are things in your word that encourage us and bring us joy. and Father, we long to read them over and over and over again and receive all of the joy that they bring us. And then there are things that terrify us in your word. Things that you used to hit us between the eyes like a two-by-four. And I, I know over the past few weeks you have done that in me. And Father, I hope and pray that for those listening this morning, you have done and will do that to them. Father, help us this morning to see the goodness and the grace and the mercy that are in your warnings that are in your exhortations. God, would you work in us by your spirit. Convince us of the things of Christ. Cause us to grab hold onto them and to never let go and to not look back to the things of this world. Give us a desire to long for maturity To put away the childish things. And in that, assure us that you hold us. And that you keep us by your word. Father, we love you and we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.